Support for Need to Know comes from the Carnegie Corporation of New York, supporting innovation in education, democratic engagement, and the advancement of international peace and security. Learn more at Carnegie.org. Welcome to the Need to Know podcast from the Wilson Center, a podcast for policymakers available to everyone. Always informative, nonpartisan, and relevant, we go beyond the headlines to understand the trend lines in foreign policy. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Need to Know. I'm your host, John Molesky. Well, as we sit down to record this episode of the Need to Know podcast, we're just days away from the second anniversary of the completion of the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan. What was an ending for some was only the beginning for millions of others. According to UN statistics, Afghan refugees are the third largest displaced population in the world after Syria and Ukraine refugees. In 2023, there were at least 8.2 million Afghan-hosted refugees across 103 different countries. Here to help us learn what we need to know about the fate of these displaced people is John Thon Majak. John Thon serves as director of the Wilson Center's Refugee and Forced Displacement Initiative. John. Thank you, John, for having me. So, John Thud, we, we know that at the time of the U.S. withdrawal, there was a mass exodus and people were rushing to get out of the country. Uh, has that slowed now or are, are people still leaving Afghanistan at a significant rate? Uh, so as we approach the second anniversary of that withdrawal, John, I want to put our viewers back to the scene of how it looked like uh, almost two years ago. Uh, people were just rushing to the airport trying to get into the airplane um, by all means. And if you could look back, uh, the situation was really, really um, dangerous, but also fearsome for many. And as we approach this anniversary, people are reminded that millions of people are still in that state of mind where those who were brought here to the United States are still in a cloud of legal uncertainty. What that means is that since the withdrawal around 2021, um, close to 100,000 Afghans were brought to the United States through humanitarian parole and other admission uh, pathways. What they are facing here in the United States is that they were to be here temporary, and then the hope was that after two years, their uh, legal, legal presence in the United States would be extended so that they can have that legal uh, permanent residence. That is not the case for some as of now because the extension has, is yet to kick in, and, and that, um, that uh, temporary presence would be uh, expired by August this year. And so the, the question for some of those, am I going to be deported back to, to Afghanistan? And would I face the same situation that I was in about two years ago? That's one. The second um, is that people that are currently in Afghanistan, those are internal displaced, uh, more than three million. They are living in a situation that I would describe as involuntary immobility. That means they, they, they are forced to leave, but they cannot leave because the Taliban um, 
securitize the border, they are not going anywhere, and then while they are in the country, they are also being threatened, uh, if, especially if they had affiliated with uh, U.S. government uh, before the, uh, the Taliban took control of the country. And so they live in that state of mind of physical fear, mental fear, and that involuntary immobility. They are not moving anywhere because they are not allowed to. So that's the situation. Let's, let's, let's face it. This is the situation for some of them, but some, few of them, so of course, they are happy to be here in the United States. Some have uh, obtained their legal permanent residency here, but again, they have people that are not there yet. I want to ask you a separate question about both groups. Let's talk first about those who are in the U.S. or perhaps in other countries. As far as their situation becoming more stable, where they have some certainty, can they stay beyond the the deadline for for the expiration of their temporary status? Is the holdup a function of politics? Is it bureaucracy? Is it just that there's a long waiting list and processing takes time? Why are people living with this cloud of uncertainty hanging over them? It is a combination of all of the above. There are bureaucra uh, bureaucratic backlogs because, again, let's take the case of the United States. You know, there are people coming from Ukraine, um, you know, uh, Venezuela, emergencies around the world that U.S. being, you know, a global leader um, and setting example, there are asylum applications on daily basis. And the backlog is justified on the basis of that we have a lot. But then there is not enough personnel. Um, in the previous administration, I think uh, the immigration um, system uh, was somewhat uh, the capacity because facilities were closed and uh, personnel were laid off or, or, or left. Uh, and so there is not enough personnel uh, processing the application on the bureaucratic side. That, that's one explanation. Uh, on the political side, even though there is a political will to do this because it is in the best interest that these people stood by us when we were in Afghanistan and the United States promised them, you know, um, safety uh, when anything happens. And now they are here. So there is a bipartisan support, but I think there are you know, usual political uh, hole out there. And that's why the, you know, Afghan Adjustment Act is still in Congress as a piece of legislation to extend because there are some concern about the vetting of these individuals who are here, already here in the United States. So that is that is part of it. Politics is part of it. And, and, and I think... Uh, we have to find a way to reconcile this and make sure the people we promise safety uh, find that safety without the cloud of, you know, uncertainty and fear, etc. Yeah, uh, an impossible way to live uh, with not knowing if tomorrow you have to leave the country. Uh, on those who are still in country, but as you put it, involuntarily or involuntary immobili immobility, excuse me for stumbling over my words, how can the international community or the U.S. be of service to those individuals? It's much more complicated because they're still in Afghanistan. That is correct. It is very complicated. The internal displaced people, the IDPs, are 
under the jurisdiction of the government that is actually not giving them the right for protection. And so there is a sort of um, difficulty there. But I think if, you know, the allies that were in Afghanistan before the Taliban took control are in consultation with the government in control, there are diplomatic ways to approach the situation, um, especially the situation of women, women uh, in Afghanistan in terms of their safety, the livelihoods, the UN agencies also um, can use their leverage there and, and try to find ways to address the root causes that make people to be in that situation. And, and I think um, there are difficulties, but countries that are, um, for example, Iran is hosting the largest Afghan refugees, Pakistan. And so Pakistan, with the U.S. relationship, other countries, they can talk and, and then talk with the uh, government, the current government in Afghanistan. And I think um, uh, there are avenues to do that, uh, and, you know, but it is difficult. For those who wish to leave the country and are fortunate enough to get out, at least there's a certain amount of safety in that they're not under Taliban rule. On the other hand, they need homes, they need jobs, they need food for their families. W what about once they are in another country, whether the U.S. or elsewhere, is there enough support on the ground to help people essentially build new lives from scratch? I think... Uh there was the Associated Press um, uh, survey that was done a few months after the withdrawal of U.S. from Afghanistan, and there was a significant support of these Afghans who stood by us, uh, by the U.S. government, uh, when, when they helped us being translators, interpreters, work with military. Uh, there was a support, and I think there is still support to this group. Um, being welcome and to be integrated into the uh, community. And when they were here, in, uh, you know, early on, I think people received them um, in their local communities. The question is, you know, can the government and the political will come together to help these people transition while they are already here in the United States? The integration, you know, their kids to school, finding employment and this is part of the legal uncertainty when the two years temporary stay are not extended then there will be no work for these people and that is part of the fears they cannot find um, it's part of the work authorization and so i think the political will to do this and if congress act on this pending legislations it helps the local citizen to integrate these people without, you know, fear of these people could be deported if, if their uh, legal presence expired. In addition to the political will, uh, do you think there's enough urgency around the question? Uh, you know, when, it, when we were two years ago and the withdrawal was happening in real time and it was dominating news coverage, there was a sense of urgency among individuals and among nations. Has that De de decreased over time and is the problem larger than the urgency that we're applying to it? Yeah, I think so. There, yeah, the urgency has sort of dissipated um, because, again, in the new cycle and the political environment and other crises that are emerging uh, in uh, all over the world, the fear is this, this is going is not going to receive much attention as it should be and as it, as it was. 
when the situation occurred. And so part of this is that the public should still engage with this group um, and also engaging um, uh, our leaders to not lose sight of this because it is tied to the national security of the United States and it is also about our moral standing, our lead leadership by example. If we promise, we should keep. And, and I think those are situations. But also it is about the women, it is about the children, it is about the elderly and our fellow human beings that are going through this. And so we should bring back the urgency and, and the, 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 the will to act on these issues that they are facing. Whether we're talking about Afghanistan or Syria or Ukraine, we live in an unprecedented time in terms of all of the movement and displacement that's occurring. Uh, is the world handling it in real time in a way that makes sense to the scope of the problem, or are we still playing catch-up? I think we're still playing catch-up, and we, we, our mindset is still that this is going to go away uh, sometime soon. Well, forced displacement is going to be a trend in the next several decades. It's not decades. going to go away. Not and years, decades. Decades. Yes. And it is not going to be solved in one day. So I think we have to bring a different mindset here, that we have to try a different approach uh, to address this, to manage this. And there are three structural forces that we need to manage or address in order to keep sort of manage the forced displacement flow here. One are the displacing factors, and these are the root causes. Why did people leave in the first place? We tend to react to the symptoms, which is the refugee plight, people being displaced. But the, it is, goes deeper as to why there was a conflict in the first place. So we need to address the displacing factors. Second are the marginalizing forces. And this is when refugees are in a host country or are in a third country for a settlement, such as the United States here, we need to address um, issues that are marginalizing their presence. And one of them, of course, here is that their legal presence. Can we do something to make sure they are protected legally? And if we don't and they are already at our borders, we are marginalizing and it is not helping them and it's not helping us either. So factors that facilitate the integration while they are in a host country or third country, we need to manage those. And then there are third factors which are immobilizing forces. And these are, these are the factors that prevent their upward mobility within the society. So we need to, 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 to give them opportunities to be part of the global society in terms of their contribution to economy, uh, recognizing the human agency, and, and not consider them as others, because that mindset will keep them at the margin of society and it's not going to help. And so I think the urgent issues now are the displacing factors so that we don't have these growing numbers of forcibly displaced people. We need to address the root cause from the country of, of origin, helping the host country who are hosting them and make sure we integrate them into our societies once they are at our borders. 
Well, Jonathan, thank you for your insights on this issue and your leadership of Rafti at the Wilson Center. It's important work, and as you said, uh, decades. We're not talking years, we're talking decades that the world's going to be responding to this crisis. Thanks for your time today. Thank you, John. Our guest has been John Thon Majak. He is the leader of Rafti, the Refugee and Forced Displacement Initiative. If you'd like more information on John and his work and on Rafti, please visit wilsoncenter.org. That's also where you'll find more information on this podcast and many more and other valuable content from the Wilson Center. So until next time, for all of us at the Center, I'm John Molesky. Thanks for your time and interest. Mm-hmm.